Happy New Year. Welcome to the first days of what could be your best year ever in your pursuit of God. This is the time to set your mind on things above, to focus your heart on deepening your spiritual rhythms. You know you want to. That's why you're here after all. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. Our team is standing by, waiting to help you discover the best path forward to deepening your spiritual roots. Whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. If you are visiting today, we want you to know that this is the kind of family that will enthusiastically welcome you as you are, with all of your questions and doubts, with all of your struggles and brokenness. Here, you can discover Jesus, find healing, and a community who will love you enough to spur you on to emotionally and spiritually healthy living. That's the journey we're on, too. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, if you started the year um, by cracking open uh, a read-through-the-Bible reading plan, then these verses are probably fresh on your mind. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. And on the second day, he separated the earth and the sky. Next came the dry land, and with it all of the vegetation, the trees and other plants. Day four gave us the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, the animals of the land, sea, and sky. Bringing us up to day six, the creation of man and woman in the image of God. And then... God rested. It was good. Holy. The world was as God intended. Perfect. Free from sin and strife. Adam and Eve were charged with caretaking God's creation, abiding in the presence of their creator with nothing to hide, no fear, no shame, free to enjoy the fruits of his labors with one exception. One tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden with fruit that we generally depict as an apple. Although I like to eat apples, so I would prefer that it was an apricot tree. (laughs) Or maybe mango. I don't like mango at all. But that didn't matter to Adam and Eve. They were content in their Eden. And then, one day, Along came a spider and sat down beside her. (laughs) Okay, well, it was a serpent that slithered up beside her. Although it could have had legs, 
This was before the curse, and part of the curse was that the serpent would crawl on its belly, leaving me to think that it had legs, so maybe it was more iguana-like. Whatever it looked like, it made a beeline for Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we read that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And it was so yummy that Eve just had to share it with Adam. And in one fell swoop, God's perfect, holy creation was broken with disastrous consequences. In no order of importance, first, we now have to deal with snakes. Don't like them, never will. Doesn't matter whether they are poisonous or not, there's no good snake. There is no cute snake. That aside, God's perfect, holy creation began to decay. The world itself began to break down, groaning for the day that it is restored to its perfect holiness at the end of time. For one brief moment in history, our thoughts were aligned with God's. We were fully alive, body, mind, and spirit. We experienced intimate closeness, unity with God. One little lie broke us. Man's perfect relationship with the Creator was broken. Our spirit died immediately. Our body dies eventually. And disconnected from God and each other, our minds suffer the consequences of our broken condition. I say our because while sin entered the world through Adam, we are all children of Adam all still created in the image of God, but inheritors of the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Now, we've based this series on Chris Thurman's book, The Lies We Believe. In it, he he says, Adam and Eve's ability to see God for who he is, themselves for who they were, and life for what it is, fractured into a million pieces. Fortunately, God wasn't surprised. His omniscient, all-knowing nature had already formulated a plan for restoration. The centerpiece of this grand design is his son, Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to restore life that we might live it fully once again. Most of us here, probably most people watching online, have already decided to surrender their lives to Christ. Which means that like Adam's spirit died in an instant, ours was born dead and then came to life in an instant. We will never be dead spiritually again. We'll never die spiritually again. Our eternal life has begun. But we are still stuck in this broken world with broken bodies and broken minds. On the journey of restoration, which is the process of becoming like Jesus, Uh, The churchy word for it is sanctification. 
So that leaves us with a spirit that is fully alive, but bodies and minds that lag behind. Bodies and minds that are still in the process of becoming like Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes uh, the process this way in his letter to the church in Rome. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So sanctification is the process of bringing our bodies and our minds back into alignment with the Creator, which is easier said than done, right? Uh, We all know that. Even Paul struggled with the process. Earlier in Romans chapter 7, he tells us that the good he wants to do inevitably loses out to the bad. Uh, Becoming like Jesus is hard, made harder by the fact that from birth we are indoctrinated by lies, constantly surrounded on all sides by lies our entire lives. We live in a world currently under the domain of the liar. Uh, The vast majority of us, even Christ followers, go through life unaware that our view of the world, of life, of reality is out of alignment with the way God views reality. Uh, Through the prophet Isaiah, God himself tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Like, we don't think like God, period. We don't kind of think like God, Uh, When it comes to the way God thinks versus the way we think, we aren't even in the same galaxy. That's our starting point, a different galaxy. We think white, God thinks black. That's how different we are at the beginning of our journey. His thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. Nothing is zero. Though the master of lies tries to get us to think we're pretty close most of the time, We're not. Different galaxies, which means we believe a lot of lies, and all of those lies take their toll. They do damage. These lies ruin our lives, and they keep us from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. We believe lies about God. Theologian A.W. Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we view God shapes everything about how we experience life and our ability to navigate life in a mature and healthy manner. Lies damage the way we see God if they paint God as mean or spiteful or vindictive. If we see him as a stern father just waiting for us to screw up again so that he can punish us or someone who will never really fully accept us or approve of us until our future self has our act together. I was talking to a Dayspring friend last month who told me that she still wonders if her spouse dying was a punishment for her. 
that changes the way she views God. On the other hand, viewing God as a genie in the bottle, there to grant your every wish can be just as damaging. And we also believe lies about others. We can have either too low or too high of thoughts when it comes to others. When we have too high of a view, we tend to be accommodating and people-pleasing in order to curry favor. Too low, and we exploit them for our benefit or pleasure. We look down at them thinking that we are better. They become objects for us instead of fellow image bearers of the Almighty. We also believe lies about ourselves, making us live and make decisions out of shame and self-condemnation. Lies can give us a a low sense of self-worth, not worthy of love. Or we think too highly of ourselves and live in denial of how flawed we really are. Lies also damage the way we experience life. They make us fear what might come, make us feel powerless and untrusting of others. They can make us feel like we're entitled to whatever we want in life, that we don't need the support of others, but can do it all on our own. Now, obviously, I'm just shaving the tip of the iceberg. Lies are bad. All lies are bad. So if we're going to become like Jesus, we have to learn to think like Jesus. If we're going to experience the fullness of life, we're going to have to allow God to transform the way we think. We're going to have to learn to tell the difference between the truth and the lies, which also means that we should understand where the lies come from. We don't get to blame anybody. At the end of the day, only you are responsible for what you believe. But these beliefs don't come out of nowhere. Some of the lies come from our parents. Now, I'm a parent, so I'm not throwing parents under the bus here, but parents play an instrumental part in shaping the way their kids view the world, themselves and others. And we ourselves are broken people. Apart from Christ, we pass on lies. Growing up, my dad, who I'm sure just wanted to instill a sense of pride, taught me that the world revolves around voids. We are better than other people. We are smarter than other people. We work harder than other people. We aren't. In small ways and big ways, parents shape the way their kids think. But as adults, we are responsible to live out the words of the Apostle Paul, who said to the church in Corinth, when I was a child... I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. In other words, grow up. Some of the lies also come from the world itself. Now, as we, we discovered when we were studying 1 John, we live in a world that is ideologically opposed to the work of Christ on earth. It isn't just opposed to the viewpoint of God, but hostile to it. Romans 8, 7 says that the sinful nature is hostile to God. We have reached the time when, as Paul wrote to Timothy, people don't put up with sound doctrine. They listen to whatever suits their own desires. They surround themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. And without the Holy Spirit to guide them, they don't have the discernment necessary to recognize the truth when they see it. Sadly, some of the lies also find their source in the church. Uh, Pastors are just as broken as everybody else. Most do their best to rightly handle the truth of God's word, but we also bring our own fallen nature to the job. No pastor perfectly understands or interprets the teaching of the Bible, including me. We aren't all-knowing like God. 
And churches are filled with broken, judgmental people who often act more like Pharisees as they elevate right living over right relationships and forget love in the process. Now, God clearly hates sin, but since we spent so much of last year looking at the various aspects of it, we know that love is the highest expression of good, and rules without love are bad. Which brings us to our broken minds. Now, I won't say much here since we've already kind of covered this, other than to say that being saved doesn't fix our faulty thinking. Until the day we die, there will be a war in our minds between our sinful nature and our redeemed nature. By definition, our sinful nature doesn't think like God. In the message notes, I've included some verses for you to look up on your own to illustrate God's uh, perspective of our broken thinking. And I warn you, it isn't pretty. While it would be nice if our mind could be saved when our spirit is, God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that the journey of transformation was more important for us. So the battle for our mind rages on. And then last, lies come from the enemy of our souls, also known as Satan. In speaking about people who do not believe, John 8:44 tells us that Jesus said this about Satan. For you are the children of your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. It's probably the only thing consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And we are the target of his lies. He prowls about like a lion, doing everything he can to distract, destroy, and discourage because he is opposed to the work of Christ in the world. He has done his thing far longer than any of us have been alive, and he's good at what he does, which is lying. He is a sneaky snake. He knows how to bait us and reel us in, and most of the time, it isn't the outright recognizable lies he uses to bring us down. He just sidles up to the truth and twists it. And why we don't want to see him under every rock Frankly, we're broken enough that he doesn't have to work that hard to distract, destroy, or discourage us. Uh, we also don't want to ignore the truth that he is a player in the game of lies. Now, these five factors feed into the battle to align the way we see reality with the way God sees reality. But God is truth, and in him there is no lie. He has the, all of the power in the world to help us navigate this journey. And this is all a setup for where we are headed in the weeks to come. Over the next six weeks, we are going to look at the lies we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about God, the lies we believe about others. Uh, there are also lies that men are more susceptible to and women are more susceptible to. So we'll, we'll look at lies women believe and lies men believe. We'll also look at uh, lies we believe about life. But here's the deal. The lies are just a vehicle to lead us to the truth. While we need to know what kinds of lies we believe, there is very little power in knowing the lie. That only gets us so far. On the other hand, there is great power in knowing and understanding the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. Truth carries with it the power of heaven. 
So each week, we're going to highlight some lies and then drill into the truth. Overall, we're going to explore 13 truths that counteract the lies and are necessary for healthy emotional living and thinking. Uh, There are more than 13 truths, of course, but these help us to counteract the deadliest of lies. Uh, We'll look at one truth in our remaining time this week and then two in each of the weeks, uh, the next six weeks. I'd like to say that each week, the truths that we explore will correlate uh, to the lies that we expose each week. I'd like to say that, but it wouldn't be true. The enemy of our souls is far more sophisticated than that. He fights truth by weaving the lies through every aspect of our lives. So really, it is the sum of all truths that give us the most power to unravel the lies and align our reality with God's. More truth equals more power. We are literally immersed in a sea of lies 24-7 for our entire lives. They come at us from all directions, and those lies are loud. They are head-banging heavy metal concert loud. Satan wants to give us a migraine of lies, which means that we will never learn the truth unless we are intentional and go looking for it. One last thing before we look at truth. I believe in the power of God's Word. It is the be-all, end-all when it comes to truth. One of my favorite verses is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, written by Paul from prison to the church in Philippi. He writes, uh, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. God's word is the antidote for all lies. Fix your thoughts on what is true. That passage that we talked about uh, in Isaiah a few minutes ago, it goes on to say that the Word of God always accomplishes its purposes. It never returns void. We don't technically need anything else to counter the lies. At the same time, some of us come at this Christian life incredibly damaged by lies. Some of the lies that we believe are so deeply embedded and have caused so much damage that sifting through them on your own would be slow and torturous. Trained counselors have additional tools and methods that can complement God's word when it comes to applying these truths to your broken pieces. Our entire pastoral team has had the help of professionals through the years. There is no shame in seeking help from trained professionals to unravel lies. Two minds are better than one and may even help you get farther faster. So amen to that. I'm only approaching this from a biblical perspective. There are many more layers of possible if you need them. The beliefs that go through our minds each day are more important than the circumstances we encounter. We tend to think the other way around. We focus the other way around and believe that the circumstances shape our thinking. The biblical truths we explore will help us filter our circumstances through the lens of our most deeply held beliefs, attitudes, and expectations, and will, over time, more closely align our thinking and the way we live to God's view of reality, which is what we really want. So let's allow truth to shape our minds, and in turn, shape the way we experience reality. 
which means that we need to understand truth. That's the first truth principle. What is the truth about truth? Now, we're going to go through this quickly. Uh, here are seven truths about truth. First, truth is not ours. Truth is not ours. Truth does not belong to us. In Psalm 25, 5, David asked God to lead me by or guide me in your truth and teach me. Not lead me in what we think truth is. There is no truth that will ever be discovered outside of God. He is the author of all truth. We might learn a new truth of God's, but he already knows and possesses all truth. We don't own truth either, and we don't get to personalize truth. There is no, well, that might be your truth, but my truth is, there is no my truth, your truth, or alternate facts. There, are, there is just truth. Every truth belongs to God, and we need to gratefully receive any truth he has graciously allowed us to find. Second, truth comes piece by piece. When your five-year-old asks you where babies come from, you give her a different answer than when she is 16. Your 16-year-old gets a different answer than a medical student. All are true, but revelation comes at an appropriate level of understanding. Chris Thurman, again the author of The Lies We Believe, likens truth to a million-piece puzzle that requires painstakingly patient work day after day with lots of trial and error. We acquire truth fragment by fragment. The journey to truth is a lifelong endeavor. God is bigger than we could ever comprehend, so this should be no surprise. The challenge is that we live in a world with a million-piece truth puzzle that we're trying to assemble, and Satan has poured two million pieces from other puzzles into the mix for us to sort through. And we often get distracted by those lie pieces. Next up, truth is a prerequisite for personal growth. It is impossible for lies to lead us to spiritual and emotional health. We have been fed lies from the moment of our birth. Lies keep us in bondage. Apart from truth, as much as we might want personal growth, we're only trading one lie for another. No amount of positive thinking can change that. Only truth has the power to set us free. Fourth, the truth has barriers. Now, there are thousands of ways our minds get in the way of our pursuit of truth. Here are some of the deadliest, as presented by Dr. Albert Muller, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to hear it from him, you can find his message, I've Got Half a Mind Too, on YouTube. He says the deadliest barriers are ignorance. We don't know what we don't know. That is ignorance. The only thing I know about quantum mechanics is that it's a science. That's it. I'm ignorant. And there are lots of things I couldn't tell you that much about. Ignorance gets in the way of our pursuit of truth, as does incomplete knowledge. We don't know everything about anything. I am pretty well-versed in music theory, but my son can talk circles around me. We just don't know enough of anything. No one has hit the boundaries of anything and knows everything about it. 
Another barrier to the pursuit of truth is distractedness. We have a hard time concentrating and focusing on anything we study. Uh, Intellectual pride is another barrier. We are full of ourselves and how smart we think we are and how well we know things. Eh. Would you like to try for double jeopardy? (laughs) Next up, forgetfulness. What were we talking about again? (laughs) We struggle to remember what we've already learned. We also suffer from intellectual laziness and apathy. We are often just unwilling to put the amount of effort into learning and lack passion for the pursuit, for studying whatever we need to know. We are, however, great at drawing wrong conclusions. We misconnect the dots and draw wrong conclusions all the time, which feeds our closed-mindedness and dogmatism. We rigidly hold on to views that don't square with reality, thinking, uh, think, think of the flat earthers in the Middle Ages. Frankly, think of the flat earthers today. We also experience intellectual fatigue. We don't live with enough margin and are often mentally exhausted and lack the energy to learn. That's what, it was, uh, what I was like in the early days of COVID. It took everything I had mentally every day to lead our team in reinventing church. I was mentally exhausted every night. We also live in a world of inconsistencies. We hold beliefs that are not in harmony with with each other. Like I am made in God's image and I'm a worthless piece of garbage. And then last, we suffer from faulty perspective. We hold views that simply don't align with what we believe to be true, like the sun revolving around the earth. All of these barriers get in the way of our pursuit of truth. And the next truth about truth is that truth often leads to pain. Uh, The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Biblical truth has a way of making you feel humbled, convicted, and rebuked. Excising lies from their deeply buried places is painful, but there is nothing quite like seeing yourself for who you really are in the mirror of Scripture. It is a painful truth to accept that our loved ones who deny Jesus as the Christ will spend eternity in hell separated from God. Someone has said, the truth will set you free, but first, it will make you miserable. You can't embrace truth without first confronting reality. This next truth about truth might take a little pondering, but truth requires doubt. Truth requires doubt. Thomas had doubts. He spent three years with Jesus and then didn't believe it when he was told that Jesus was alive. It took a first-hand encounter to convince him. Jesus didn't rebuke his doubt. He just told him to stop doubting and believe. Doubt acknowledges that I might not know everything. Doubt properly expressed is the humility to acknowledge that there might be something you don't know. In the journey for truth, we will never know everything about anything. And having been indoctrinated in the lies, we should question everything as we compare it to the truth we find in God's Word. That's how the truth 
will reveal the lies by our questions. And the truth never needs to fear questions. Only lies fear questions. And then last, the truth will stand forever. Being bound by the construct of time, we can't really comprehend eternity. Everything we know ends. Even this earth will end. We have no experience with forever. It's just a theory to us. But praise God, everything we know and experience here on earth will end. Praise God that God is eternal and never changing. Our spirit is eternal, even if we don't really understand that. In fact, that's where our hope is based, that we will one day escape the battle between truth and lie as we enter into eternity. Again, through the prophet Isaiah, God tells us, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Truth will outlast the lies. Now, I'd guess that that's enough for today, but before we pray, here's your assignment for this week as you spend time in prayer in God's word. Pray that God would reveal the lies that you believe and keep you in bondage, whether you know it or not, and then give him permission to begin to unravel the lies in your life. Embracing truth is always a choice. God never forces his way. Otherwise, the truth that he is love wouldn't be true. So give him permission and then set your mind on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. He'll get right to work. Let's pray. Father, we are so familiar with the shifting sands of the world that we live in, with a world that embraces a false truth, which is really just a lie, that um, we are the authors of our own truth. And uh, most of us have come far enough along this journey that we've already begun to align some of our thinking with, with yours. Probably far enough that we have a little bit of arrogance to think that we've come farther than others, which, of course, just reveals a lie. Father, lead us into all truth. Lead us into all truth. The truth that comes from you, the truth that we can build our lives on, the truth that will stand through any storm. Conform our bodies and our minds to you for the glory of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. This is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, 
we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may you experience God's favor and blessing in your life.